decide to cry gas a cry by spitting image was cry gas a cry video version. I'm Tim Worthington and joining me today to talk about some of the things that he remembers and no one else ever seems to, it's designer and mouth owner Daryl McLean. Daryl, what are you up to and where can we find it? What, cry gas a cry? You could find it in my uh, record collection. <laughs> I've still never been able to ascertain the difference between 7-inch version and video version but we'll, we'll get to it one day. <laughs> So these days I'm mostly making tat on my Redbubble shop, which is at redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Daryl McLean, D-A-R-R-E-L-L-M-A-C-L-A-I-N-E. And there's all sorts of nonsense on there if you want to give me small amounts of commission to buy toffees with. And you get a free spelling lesson into the bargain by the sound of it. Okay, well, as some of you listening might know, myself and Daryl used to collaborate on a lot of things a long time ago. And I've kind of dragged him out of retirement to do this, but... It's quite opposite, really, because the first choice that he's come up with is something that we used to mention quite a lot back in the day. And I'd never actually heard it until just now. And I'm going to subject all of you to it now. Hello, it's Betty Driver here. Now, look, crime is an ever-increasing problem, particularly so at Christmas. I mean, you and the Greater Manchester Police can help to beat the criminal by making your home and your belongings more secure and by taking an interest in your community. Look, as you listen to these carols at this time of goodwill, I and some of my friends in the street will be reminding you of some of the steps that you can take to make sure that your Christmas remains a very happy one. Anyway, that's enough for me for the moment, so whilst I'm having a cup of tea, enjoy the well, wise words there from TV's Betty Turpin, but Daryl, <laughs> why was she telling us this, and what's it from? This is uh, the punchline to a 12-year-old <laughs> joke. It's a cassette album uh, called Carols at Christmas, and it is by the Greater Manchester Police Choir, featuring the stars of Coronation Street doing linking material. Uh, this is an album which no one in the world seems to have heard of except for me. And when I've looked online in preparation, there's none on eBay, none on Discogs. You cannot find any information about it on Google. It may be an elaborate prank played on our family, but this was played every single year in our house growing up. So on the 1st of December, when the decorations would uh, go up, I'd come home from school and this would be playing in the background on, you know, male voice choir, police choir singing carols. But in between a lot of the carols are quite grim messages from the stars of Coronation Street about burglaries and uh, attacks in your own home. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got to say, you're not exaggerating. This has completely disappeared off the face of the earth because... I do remember when you first told me and Ben Baker about it years ago, Ben's first reaction, and this is on record out there, was, that does not exist. <laughs> and you think it didn't, because like you say, it's nothing on Discogs, there's nothing on that exhaustive Coronation Street fan site, which, you know, has lists of chat show appearances by the cast that have been wiped as well. You know, actually details this is missing from the archives. This tape, I can't even determine when it was made. It must be sometime between 1976 and 1991 because of the unpleasant gentleman that's written the sleeve notes. <laughs> yes, he has sleeve notes by uh, Constable James Anderton, like he's Paul Morley. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to read his sleeve note? Uh, uh, I'd better explain what I said he was unpleasant first. This was possibly around the same time. That he said, now I've got to be careful to make sure I say exactly what he said, but he did say homosexuals were swirling in the cesspool of their own making at the height of the AIDS crisis. I think he said some other things I can't quite accurately quote him on, but he wasn't really the kind of person I would want to see penning a jaunty message to go inside <laughs> the badly photocopied inlay. T three colours on it of a cassette tape. It's also got his signature underneath, reproduced really big, like it's Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James Andrew spent most of the 60s hiding in a dinghy around Canal Street from the uh, reports. I don't even want to know about that. I do know that he seized <laughs> copies of This Is Brewing This, Derek and Clive Get the Horn at the High yeah. Radio Nasty <laughs> Scandal, but also Night of the Seagulls. Which is fairly harmless, but if boring Italian film about 
devil worshippers. <laughs> he thought that both of those films were going to bring down society. Was he just annoyed at not being asked to write the sleeve notes? But this is an, an amazing... It's just that people sort of go and they say, oh, the one show, oh, it's such a tonal jar, oh, this is, they go from one thing to another, oh, it's crazy. This is like a really, really kind of grim, depressing version of that. It, you'll just get, oh, it's uh, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem, and then, oh, Intruders. Uh, what? <laughs> Not only Intruders, but Intruders in the, is sort of homely Coronation Street characters. It will be, oh, it's um, Betty Turpin is telling you this, and oh, Mavis Riley's telling you advice. It's about really awful things. I mean, it's useful advice, but the, the concept behind this, it's and it is a concept album. Well, yeah, do you want to read out his sleeve note just to emphasise what the concept <laughs> is? Greater, I don't know why James Anderson sounds like, um, presumably not Paul Morley, but Greater Manchester Police and some of your favourite actors from Coronation Street have got together to wish you a happy Christmas and a very safe and secure New Year. Squiggle, James Anderson. Also, any profits from the sale of this cassette? I like not all profits, any profits. <laughs> like, we're, not, we're not expecting to make our money back. This is clearly a whim that's going wrong before it even starts. We'll be donated to Greater Manchester Police Charity. But uh, it's also nice to know it is recorded in Dolby. In Bus Stop Studio in Lee, apparently. Bus, bus Stop Studio in Lee, yes. Was it just our bus stop and they just like, <laughs> stuck a microphone under Bill Tarmy's nose and said, what do you think about pan scaldings? I, I haven't heard this for a while, but it's every word of this is burned into my head. You know, when people say, sell, they've seen Life of Brian loads and loads of times and they, when they watch it again, they can mouth along with it. I can mouth along with this. And it's 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 all right us going, oh, it's funny now, but imagine like a seven-year-old boy spending every Christmas sitting on the couch in, oh, in the back room looking at the decorations and the lights, listening to advice from Mavis Riley about um, burglars. Well, I've got to ask as well, this is quite a pertinent question, because I know that, you know, at that age, you were probably trying to get away to listen to Weekending rather than sit around listening to a Christmas tape. Did you even know who any of these people actually were? Yes, I did, because we did watch Coronation Street together as a family. So I don't know whether that made it better or worse that Percy Sugden was popping up <laughs> and I knew who it was. Or my mum and dad would go, oh, that's Percy Sugden going on now. Oh, it's Alf Roberts now. Like it was some enjoyable kind of quiz game, spot the character. Well, this isn't Percy Sugden's only crime against ears at Christmas, because <laughs> as uh, I know you know this only too well, some other people listening might not do. I have a single by Bill Waddington, who played Percy Sugden, called Don't Forget the Old Folks at Christmas, which is one of the most dreadful records ever made. And in fact, when Nick Hancock was the guest on Room 101 on the radio, when they reversed the roles and Danny Baker interviewed him, they couldn't find a copy. But I have a copy because I was trying to find that dub reggae version of the Coronation Street theme. And I paid a record finding service to find it for me. And they found me, don't forget the old folks at Christmas by Bill Waddington. <laughs> which, if you've never heard it, I might put at the end of this because it is so dreadful. I think if they ever do a special edition, like two disc re-release of Carols <laughs> at Christmas, it should include don't forget the old folks at Christmas at the end. I don't know what else would be on it. Well, I was looking at the track listing and a couple of things leapt out to me. One is that they do Shepherd's Pipe Carol, which, again, we used to mention quite a lot in, I don't think we even called them podcasts in those days, but the audio things is what I think in one of the compilations they did, they put me and Ben talking over the top of version Shepherd's Pipe Carol. So that was quite jarring. But also, there's a song called Torches. Now, yes. is that just a soft sell song twice? There's some very strange. It's like when someone does a cover album and they're trying to not be too obvious, like, oh, I'm going to do a big band cover album, but I'm going to try and pick some obscure, you know, deep cuts and album tracks and B-sides. They're trying to do that on here, and that, again, was weird because you'd hear Ding Dong Barrel on High and then something you'd never heard before, also bridged with Betty Turpin. Like I said, it's, it's nothing less than a concept album. But the, what I cannot understand is Coronation Street has quite a big fan base. There are people who are genuinely as interested in Coronation Street as there are for, you know, Doctor Who and other things. It has a big, quite literate following who quite, you know, do a lot of research. No one seems to know that this exists. No, and I can assure you it's absolutely real because I'm looking at the inlay card right now. But you're right because, I mean, I can point to the fact that when I did that feature on the BBC Two Art show presentation of the original Peter, which will take a whole long time to go into, but people contacted me because a clip from Coronation Street was used in it. 
and people who don't care about sort of prog jazz and BBC Two art shows were messaging me on Twitter saying, can you give me details of this programme? I'm a big Coronation Street fan. So they're that obsessive. But they don't know about this, so I think there might be a few bidding wars on eBay in the near future. I am fully intending to sell it. <laughs> Can I say, I am genuinely intending to sell it and use this basically as a springboard to hawk my words. <laughs> I may even reissue it. <laughs> well, if you do that without getting the proper permissions, you will have to avoid the attentions of James Anderton. And to do that, you might actually it's... need your next choice, which is represented by this clip. Fun facts is were a kid's version of the Philo Facts. Now most kids today probably don't even know what a Philo Facts is, but basically it was a book which you could store your names and addresses of people you liked, people you hated, people you wanted to kill, had a little diary inside it, notes, it was basically like an electronic organiser. Before the electronic organisers came about. Okay, well that was YouTuber Nostalgia Nerd talking about Fun Facts, which is a very kind of late 80s, early 90s phenomenon which involved sort of little guidebooks, instruction books inside a sort of joke fun file of facts. But we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there because it's about what particular insert for it. Daryl, what was this? Fun facts, as you explained, was quite uh, this thing where there were hundreds and hundreds of little books and they, they had a, the, the main organiser was like a generic fun facts organiser and you put your own books in and they tried to relaunch or put a bit of life into it by doing themed ones and they brought out a themed one called The Spy File in about 92, 93. I think there was a lot of TV advertising for it because everyone seemed to have it which is weird because no one remembers the Fun Facts Spy File now. It's not something you hear about, but every single person in, in the class had a Fun Facts Spy File and was trying to get all eight books inside it. So it's kind of, you know, puzzles, and uh, there was a mirrored page that was just sort of silver card. That was very impressive to a primary school child. <laughs> <laughs> there was, you know, stickers, and uh, but one of these is for, uh, eight books was called Disguise and False Identity. Now, this kind of fascinated me at the time because I just thought it was quite interesting and it's kind of marinated in my head all this time I've never forgot so I actually bought this again in preparation and this is incredibly sinister in places not only sinister but quite racist as well there are genuinely guides for blacking up in it what <laughs> so <laughs> let me just turn to one of my uh, favorite sections <laughs> Although stage makeup is very good and lasts a long time, it is expensive. Ask a female relative to save their old sticks and pots of makeup for your disguise kit. For the rest, let's improvise. You will need to collect these. Talcum powder to produce a pale complexion. Cocoa powder, ideal for darkening the skin. <laughs> Rouge, useful for faking a bruise here and there. Lipstick, boys dressed as women should use this. This also got a really great piece of advice for how to pretend you've got a limp. A small flat stone inside your shoe will give you a most convincing limp. Now just uh, give you an actual limp. Give you an actual limp. <laughs> this is like the Stanislavski uh, um, fun facts kit. <laughs> Produce the illusion of a broken arm. Get a sling, then hit your arm with a hammer and put it. <laughs> But it's ev every page is like, it's gobsmacking. And this isn't from, like, the 70s. So this is from 25 years ago. This line has really creeped me out. Keep your true identity hidden at all costs. Remember to remove all labels from clothing. It's best to wash clothes before wearing them. Even spies like to be safe. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I do not know what that is implying. Do you think they just mean if you've got a copy of True Identity with Lenny Hem? You don't want people to know about it. Just like, hide it and always change your clothes in case someone suspects you've been watching it. You were speaking to someone who once bought the, the press kit for True Identity <laughs> as a birthday present from one of your previous guests. <laughs> well, I've, I've got the uh, an ex-rental copy of it sat just over there. So, yeah, I, I think I need to invest in the disguise kit pretty quickly. There are some very, very strange things in here to give the impression of missing or discolored teeth to make you look older or perhaps more sinister cover them with a licorice sweet there is an illustration of someone doing it with a piece of green licorice it's also a very very overcomplicated guide to making a false beard which <laughs> basically involves making a large 3d sculpture of a beard and painting it the color of her 
did you ever actually try to use any of these disguises? Or did you just read it and think, oh, I could do that if, and then never do anything? There was one, uh, just one of the first pages, obviously, you tried to go through it in order. False documents, how to make fake IDs and things. Collect any old membership cards or out-of-date tickets with names on, just to throw them off the scent. You can carefully alter the names of these cards to suit your chosen false name and character. If you can't find any expired cards to adapt, make some of your own. Make up any numbers which appear on the cards. Don't copy real numbers. If you have sticky back plastic, cover them on both sides. Sellotape is a good substitute. It also advises you to make a monocle out of a curtain ring (laughs) so you can pretend to be Poirot. (laughs) Remember his famous trademark was going around with a curtain ring on his face. (laughs) Also one of these guys is clergyman. Um, So how to make... Uh, a judge's hat, basically, which is a disguise anyway. Is there any practical situation you can see that might call for any of these disguises or not? What, to make a giant plasticine false nose, which is three foot long, <laughs> suspended on a pair of uh, That's joke if you're glasses. to infiltrate spitting image. <laughs> this is basically a Russ Abbott's madhouse <laughs> cosplay kit. That's <laughs> what basically it is. To change the shape of your mouth... Large gobstoppers will give you a strangely different shaped mouth. Yeah, you also be unable to speak or breathe. <laughs> that is quite good disguise, though, because no one can recognise your accent. <laughs> <laughs> the pound shop Marlon Brando. So I had a look. Apparently this was written by a Carolyn B. Mitchell, whose only other credits, as far as I can see, are The Everyman Guide to Budapest. So I hope she had the false beard on for researching that. And 50-plus easy classical solos for flute. Well, that's the incidental music. <laughs> Just needs a bass guitar and some finger clicks, and you've got a proper score going. It's clearly, a, oh, this could fill a page. Oh, this could fill a page. Oh, this could fill a page. Because this is insane. Like, it's not just, it's insane. It's every page is not just, like, a bit, oh, that's a bit odd. That's a bit of a, an obscurity. That's a bit esoteric. It's all, there's something very slightly sinister and wrong and worrying about it, looking at it through an adult's eyes when i got this finally and it this took ages uh, it was only a fluke one turned up on music magpie <laughs> i'm <laughs> i'm quite impressed that music magpie are buying this by the way uh, and, and i bought it and i had first of all absolute nostalgia uh, or proper proustian rush and then just a deep existential misery I do remember there were similar books that I had where it was the Usborne book of, you know, it was magic, spying as well, another one. But there was a detective one where it had all these hints in it for observing and catching criminals throughout. And then at the end of the very last page, it said, remember, don't go try to find actual criminals yourself. It might be a bit dangerous. I remember thinking, even at that age, what's the point of this book then? Really, it's a bit... <laughs> Don't do as Donnie don't does, but do, but don't. <laughs> the irony is this is probably the best one of the eight as well. Did you have any of the others? I had all of them. Yeah, they were only 99p each, so... So what was fun about the fun facts? Because as far as I can see, it just seems to be some sort of studio line from L'Oreal-type colour design on the front, and that's not really <laughs> that fun, is it? A lot of these books are clearly very old. I think this did start in the 80s, because some of them were like, like two-colour printing as well, before they went to the full-colour ones. I really liked them at the time. The The big disadvantage was, and probably the commercial advantage, is you couldn't really make your own. You can get hole punches for, for Filofax paper, but it's very complicated to do. So once you've done all the puzzles and you've done all the stickers and you've done all the colouring in and the crosswords and you've read everything, you kind of have to keep buying more so it feeds itself. It's not um, – it was very affordable. It, they were all cheap. You could get them with pocket money, which is part of the concept of it. It's the sort of thing that – just doesn't exist now, kind of affordable tat. You know, you don't get, um, you know, Funko Pops now cost about 17, 18 pounds. This this was the, the early 90s child equivalent of Funko Pops. Well, people keep saying Filofaxes were the precursors to the internet, but I don't quite see that, because imagine if now you tried to do that, and you, you bought a Filofax, and you just kept having to endlessly print out pages from <laughs> Rhubarb's DVD forum. There's a release date for something on Amazon went back and back and back further in time. You can actually still buy Filofaxes, and you can buy Filofax paper, and with laser printing technology, the irony is you probably can do your own now, if you should want to. The, the way these books came, by the way, is you could read them as books. They were bound as books, 
but you could tear each page had a kind of perforation about a centimeter from the edge and then holes so you could pull them out and once you pull them out you could never have them as a book again i think the company did really really well and it crashed and burned massively in after the millennium when they realized that the internet had genuinely superseded them as a distraction kind of toy that's cheery wasn't it <laughs> okay well we're staying with short-lived gimmicky crazes that didn't really last for your next choice because i mean you've all done the rubik's cube you've heard me talk a lot about the rubik's magic but how many of you remember this okay that was somebody solving daryl the rubik's clock i got this for christmas when i was about i don't know six seven eight something like that it maddened me i didn't know what it was i didn't even know what a rubik's cube was i I knew about the rubik's clock a long time before i knew what a rubik's cube was the idea was it was a big plastic kind of disc that had nine clocks and sort of four little wheels at each corner and you had to move the wheels around to get all the clocks in sync with each other and in rubik's cube style you move one everything moves so you can sort of hold two together or lock them and there were little buttons you could press that would stop it going wrong side and it was double-sided as well it was an awful unattractive toy every time any friend of mine came around to look at my toys they they would always go what the hell is this this is horrible i don't like it put it away please i, I don't know how it was ever kind of marketed i mean i believe when you look into it, this kind of Rubik's name wasn't really a brand name or a trademark. It was kind of exploited, really, by there were lots and lots of different bits of Rubik's branded tat that are not related to the cube or anything at all. It was just a name they put on really terrible puzzle toys, which are probably imported from China and called something else and, re, you know, just rebranded. But this was maddening. This I, I've never nothing when I was small, nothing it's kind of maddened me but addicted me as much as this like there were you know i might have a board game which you hated but you you know you wanted to win but this one every time i'd, I'd spend 10 minutes with it and end up throwing it across the room this went on for years i just loathed it but it had to have done it i had to complete it and the really frustrating end to this story is one day i went to it and it was completed now i'm assuming that i completed it partially by accident the previous time and didn't realize i'd done so this is not a toy (laughs) it was a piece of plastic that bullied me throughout most of my childhood (laughs) and then taunted me at the end by providing no closure at all i think it went into a bin very shortly after that not even charity shop it got binned well there are two possibilities though for how it was solved one is that when you threw it at the wall it did somehow align the clocks. The other is, it was a bit like the elves and the shoemaker, but the elves were in the employee Patrick Bossity wrote, you can do the cube. And, you know, they've gone around solving people's Rubik's cubes and Rubik's magic. They didn't do the, the Rubik's snakes. That wasn't properly official. But then they moved on to Rubik's clock. And I'm not going anywhere with that, am I? It's really strange. Though. You, there's no, there's, it's one of those things. There is no nostalgia for the Rubik's clock. You, if you Google it, you will find information about it. And I presume there's, you know, adverts and things around for it. But no one has a fond memory of it, which is really strange for a toy that was widely available and presumably sold very well. Oh, yeah, I remember it being one of the big things that year. And I did look up what year it was. It was 1988, which, interestingly, was the same year that the BBC did. They had a series called Rockliffe's Babies, which is a sort of really popular, hard-hitting, gritty urban detective series about some new raw recruits were sent to an inner city and Rockcliffe was their gruff boss who, you know, had seen it all. And they thought, because that was popular, do you know what? If we move Rockcliffe to the country and call it Rockcliffe's Folly, everyone will like that. And he has gentle, whimsical Avengers and they didn't and it bombed. And I'm trying to make a correlation between Rockcliffe's Folly and Rubik's Clock. <laughs> There's kind of a symbiosis I can't work out there. <laughs> Rockcliffe's Clock. That, See, I would, that would like that, though. Especially that if would maybe the what they were originally called before they branded it. That's what the, the imported uh, Far Eastern version was, the, the Rockliffe's Clock. Yeah. I've noticed as well that it was actually a collaboration between Erno Rubik and Christopher C. Wiggs and Christopher J. Taylor. So, 
heavy Chris input on... So it was official Rubik merch, then? Oh, yeah, I think there's only that, the Magic and the Cube, that are 100% officially branded. (laughs) One canonical Rubik. (laughs) (laughs) The thing, you saying it's from 1988, I was only three then. So that, and that's now making me think either I was giving it a few years later when it was being sold in the pound shops <laughs> couldn't get rid of it, or it was second-hand, you know, as, as happened probably more often then than it does these days, second-hand Christmas presents. Um, and there's some sort of M.R. Jamesian backstory <laughs> to how I ended up with it, why it sold itself, and what happened to it afterwards. <laughs> I do remember seeing a lot of them at things like school fairs and then just a box in the Knox fam. You know, but in the early 90s, people had obviously just discarded them. The only toy I had that was ever met with so much, I've never heard of it, I don't like it, bafflement amongst my peers, was the Christopher Columbus board game, and we're not going to go into that one. If we do, I'll start talking about the Sir Francis Chichester board game, (laughs) which is equally daft. Just imagine a small boy desperately spending years trying to persuade his friends to play a really tedious board game about (laughs) discovering America. With lots and lots of cards and complicated bits. It's like kind of like almost at risk style levels. <laughs> well, speaking of useless heaps of junk, I don't want to editorialise here, but I know what your next choice is. And I'm convinced I would have cheated it with as much respect as I would on a Rubik's clock. Here's an advert for it. How many CDs do you own but never play? Think of the money they cost, the space they take up. That's why Martin Brennan invented the revolutionary JB7. I've designed a new way to listen to music. Basically, it's a CD player with a hard disk that can store up to 5,000 CDs, but it's as simple to use as a light switch. Loading each one takes three or four minutes on average. Album and track names are added automatically, and finding them again on the remote control takes seconds. No bigger than an average hardback book, Gramophone magazine described the JB7 as superb. Only available online to order yours, simply search for Brennan. Okay, well, I remember this being constantly advertised on the back page of Private Eye. And I also remember constantly thinking, you can fuck off whenever I saw it. (laughs) Pardon my French, but my reaction was that strong. Daryl, what was the Brennan JB7? (laughs) This isn't even the Brennan JB7, I think. It's just the advert for it. (laughs) Basically, this was... A very, very widely distributed advert around the turn of the decade. This is probably the most recent thing anyone has ever had on this program. It's from about 2009, 2010. And the easiest way to describe it is this guy who's kind of Brian Butterfield in real life, but he kind of looks like a stray member of Marillion or something from his very flattering publicity photograph, had invented what is basically a CD player, (laughs) which rips to MP3 like all computers do for free and it's just this giant silver box with a really wordy and self-aggrandizing advert for it which was in it was in private eye every issue it was in radio times every week it was in so many kind of middle-aged lifestyle magazines i'm assuming and everywhere you went you saw this and every time i saw it i was just agog at how awful not so much the even the machine, which is probably okay. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it works. It's got a little kind of backstory. It's got like its own um, prologue as to why he invented it. So Martin Brennan invented the Brennan JB7. That was handy. Yeah, I've got. I've, I've even got. I've kept an advert for it in a box just so I had one to keep in in uh, perpetuity. So he has around twenty silicon chips to his name written over a million lines of computer code and co-designed the world's first 64-bit games computer. Uh, I always liked the promise of CDs. It wasn't so much the quality, but the quick access to a given track. So basically, to sell his thing, he says, CDs are awful, MP3s are better. This is around the time the iPod was available by this time with an iPod dock. That technology was really developed. So he goes on and on about, oh, he, he, he kept having to buy more and more at the five CD changer and a 10 CD changer for his car because his CDs were too short and he didn't know how to get them playing again, which makes you think he's supposedly one of the top software engineers in the world, but doesn't have an iPod or doesn't understand how to rip CDs, which people were doing like in the late nineties. But this is the best. This is the paragraph that I covered in highlighter in an old radio times clipping. A few years ago, I had a go at loading my cassette collection onto a PC Cassette were obsolete. That's the what it says, cassette. Cassette were obsolete, but I owned around a 100. 
and the music on them reflected an important period in my life. I'd love to know the backstory. <laughs> His cassette years. <laughs> Him kind of zooming down a country lane in an open-top car <laughs> with a big box of cassettes. I recorded all of the cassettes onto the PC over a period of several weeks. The thing is, I never listened to the music on the PC. Somehow using the computer to listen to music never worked out. Maybe the computer was in the wrong place. But I think it lacked the immediacy of a physical play button. In the end, the computer got a virus and the music files were lost. I still had the cassettes, thankfully. Some of the, the key points, it's kind of done, it's clearly adapted this habit from a PowerPoint presentation he used to get investment from. Key points. One of them, load CDs in about four minutes. <laughs> it didn't take four minutes, even. To, to rip them back in back then to the PC, did it? Volume knob. That's one of the selling points. It's got a volume knob. It's got a Another, scene selection. One of the other volume uh, key points is delete tracks you don't like. <laughs> but then won't this album to be even shorter? Well, I was going to say as well, you know, if you had the problem with CDs in the car being too short, get the Who Live at Leeds, the one-disc version of it, you know. <laughs> Not much journey's going to take you much more than 80 minutes, really. Another of these ones is small and tough enough if you are on the move, which, bearing in mind you need to attach it to an amplifier and separates, <laughs> is quite a claim, and the thing is clearly... It's made of, like, brushed steel, so it's incredibly heavy as well. And uh, continuing on the Brian Butterfield note, used by restaurants, hotels, pubs, dentists, schools. Dentists? Is it used by croupiers? <laughs> Lord Mayor's croupiers. All these dentists who are annoyed that they can't play enough albums in the... Uh... <laughs> you know, when, when they're trying to play the complete second series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy during some <laughs> rock canal treatment. Well, that brings me round to the question I'm dreading to ask, which is, you know, when you think of that time, you think of MP3s, you think of the sort of stuff we were sending each other all the time. It was all really rare stuff from, you know off uh, radio recordings or things ripped from vinyl or whatever can you actually load external mp3s onto it or is it just your cd collection it loads and plays mp3 from usb to be fair is on there but it's like right at the bottom and i suspect it's very complicated to do so the irony is this bot as a cd player it's actually quite nice looking and i'll, I'll give yeah, him that yeah but it looks like i'd be very happy to get one for free it can jump if I'm uh, paying £329 for it. The price has gone up since. I've looked. He does still have a website for it. It does still exist. And he has since brought out a newer version of it, which doesn't do anything else. The 7.1. Well, i got to say, I know it's a bit rude about it to begin with. I do like the idea. And, you know, I like something that is kind of encouraging the survival of the album length format. It was just, as you point out, the advert that annoyed the hell out of me. It's all the advert. I I, I have not... I, like I said, I don't have much against this. I'd, I'd love to have one for free. It's it's a big heavy metal box, and it's full of buttons. That's what I want out of technology. But <laughs> he's also got the photograph of him with this sort of tousled kind of... It looks a bit like Dave Gregory, if you know who Dave Gregory is. He's got... <laughs> It's got kind of, he does, and it's got kind of chiselled cheekbones, which kind of look like they've been drawn on, possibly by the author of uh, Fun Facts, Disguise and False Identity, <laughs> with uh, Cadbury's uh, Hot Chocolates. <laughs> I've never forgotten about this. Like I said, it was, I've had this in a box all this time. When you something alarms you that much where you go, I've got to keep this because one day I won't believe it was real. And the thing is, the standout in amongst all the adverts you get in Private Eye, you know, which the things like a revolutionary new shirt made by the best Italian shirt technologists, and you think, yeah, it looks like a shirt, mate. Water filtration systems for your pool, which everyone buying Private Eye has, of course, but the standout amongst all that, that's quite a feat, really. Another element of this, which, which I can't overlook, is that this advert, the amount, it's a full page colour advert, that was in all these big publications every issue for about two years. It must have cost him a fortune. All that money without actually getting an editor. See, it opens. Its opening gambit is basically, I don't like CDs. So what's the point in owning hundreds of CDs worth thousands of pounds? Yeah, cut to now. (laughs) (laughs) You You can't throw them away if you never listen to them. The problem with CDs is that it's quicker to make a cup of coffee than dip into a CD. What? 
I, I, I want, I don't really understand what he's trying to get at. Unless he's using his own, which takes four minutes. Try timing how long it takes to pick a CD, load it in the CD player, play a snippet from a track or two, eject it, and put it back where it came from. Now, I don't know if, <laughs> if that's a, a common way of enjoying CDs. <laughs> Just sort of sampling them to see what they are. Also, his coffee standards must be pretty low, because I, I admit it, I... You know, I may be somebody who thinks, hmm, I've only left that roasting for 15 minutes. That's a bit on the short side. But even, you must have the the cheapest mellow birds available for it to be quicker to boil the kettle and make coffee than it is to put the CD on. (laughs) Just leave it in and press play. I've got the new Gals Coombs album in there at the moment. I could just lean straight over and press play if I wanted, which probably shouldn't do for copyright reasons then there is the problem of finding music the print on a cd spine is tiny right okay what cd is right in front of me nick drake family tree okay <laughs> nick drake time of their reply francois hardy la chanson de mort now i'm not picking these up looking at them they are on the shelf several feet away from me uh fifth dimension the magic garden there we go what is tiny about this print buy I'd some like to new be, glasses I, i'd like to be his optician he's not wearing glasses in the picture that probably explains it all <laughs> what if the track is on a compilation cd what, the compilation the compilation. CD? <laughs> what if the cd is in the car <laughs> where's your car why is it how many miles away from you is your car it's not driving off by itself to go away. <laughs> Bloody car! It's, it's got my twofer of uh, sunflower and surf something. <laughs> Stack a track, surely. <laughs> the, the best, best bit, which is the most Brian Butterfieldish bit, the Brennan, which is starts calling it the Brennan, has a unique text search facility that shows a reducing number of matches as you press successive letters on the remote control. Once you get the hang of it, you can find one track or album out of your entire music collection in a few seconds. So, to find Ness and Dorma, you would press letters N, E, S, R, D, O, R, and scroll through the short list of matches. <laughs> also, if he's looking for Ness and Dorma, that's, you know, on quite long albums usually, surely, unless yeah. it's... I don't think it's a CD single or only available on a compilation. There was a CD single, but it was the World Cup theme, and the B-side was, was Oh Solo Mio. So is that, do we, have we, are we shortening down what, what his CD collection is? Yeah. <laughs> so it's the CD single of Ness and Armour, which the car is always taking anyway. <laughs> Has he got a cry gas a cry as well? That's what I want to know. A giant plastic box of cassettes that represent an important period of his life, which is saving uh, for, his, for, his, for his autobiography. <laughs> Well, as Daryl said, if you're listening, you'd like to send him a free one so that you can then, oh, yeah. you can then endorse them. You know, by all means, please. If you're do. listening, Martin, <laughs> forget everything I just said. I will have one for free, thanks. I think, because I know you will as well. But yeah, I'm in the market for one. I've not got one at the moment. <laughs> but I think what you'd also like to have for free, if Ian Vtech is listening, is your next choice. <laughs> no, I don't want one. It. Send it back. <laughs> You've never seen anything like VTEC Master Video Painter. Hope you like polka dot pants. Dots, okay with me. But look what else you can do with your Master Video Painter. Choose from lots of fun characters and make them move. Wow! Watch this. Draw your own character and make him swim. Pretty neat, huh? Hey, it's been fun, but I could use some sun. Master Video Painter from VTech. It runs on imagination. Okay, well, that was the advert of the VTech Video Painter, which even as a bit of a tech head, I've got no idea about. Daryl, what's going on here? This is uh, a very, very unique niche of nostalgia, which is a nostalgia for something that I never owned, never saw anyone play with, never saw in the flesh, only ever saw via one page in the Argos catalogue and adverts on TV. Now, I'm guessing this is actually quite common, where nostalgia does is equally for things you didn't have, whether it be, oh, I really wanted a VHS of the Disney Alice in Wonderland when I was young. But this was, to, to cut, cut a long story short, Nintendo had the Super Nintendo, which had a thing called Mario Paint on it, which had a little, it worked, it was just a cartridge, went in your SNES, and the controller was a mouse, like a very early computer mouse. And it was a very, very, very basic kind of paint application, a bit like Microsoft Paint. And if you like music, app, it was, for the time, actually quite entertaining. And many, many years down the line, when I was kind of in my retro gaming phase, I did get hold of one, you know, and I had 
a bit of fun with it before I passed it on to someone else, etc. But this was VTech, who were kind of in, I think they still exist, they're kind of in the market of naff rip-offs of other people's technology in a kind of kid-accessible way, kind of like a rubbish Fisher-Price, but who were pretending to be a big kind of technology firm. But it is toys, it is crap toys. So this was their version of Mario Paint, which considered of a giant white plastic tablet, like a bit like a graphics tablet you would get now, but awful, uh, a pen and lots of um, buttons on it with different colours and all the stuff that would be on a graphical interface on a normal piece of technology was buttons on this. And you plugged it in to your TV and it was a similar experience to Mario Paint. You can just squiggle on a very, very low res picture up and down. It's about 10 minutes of fun then you get bored of it. This was incredibly well advertised there were lots of tv adverts for it the implication was you can make your own cartoons using it and you can record them onto vhs and you can use put voices on using audio dub yourself not using the video painter <laughs> and uh, this the image that was in the argos catalog was kind it looked kind of like a still still a, a screenshot from an episode of nightmare citv's nightmare it had like um a night and and like gray blocks and a shield and a floor and it really made it look like you could make your own cartoons using it this is obviously what it wasn't this is nothing to do with what it was at the time because i've got the page from the argos catalog in front of me it was 67 pounds and this is about 25 years ago that's probably about double or more now that's about two or three tablets now, I suspect it was something that got taken back to the shop a lot. There were toys which sold a lot, but were also well known to have been taken back a lot. And I bet that was one of them. It seems everyone my age has a, has a story about having a, a Mr. Frosty and taking it back because it didn't work for a refund. Also, the Game Genie, which never worked either. I wouldn't be surprised if people took it back because I had a look around at some videos of people using them. And even, you know, using them now with the imagination and the... I suppose additional technology they've got hooked up to it. It just looked like the inserts from like an old children's BBC show, like Corners or something, where there'd be a song about seven farmers went over there or something. And, you know, this static image of a farmer would move across the screen one by one on a plain background. It all looked like that. And even at the time, you saw things like that and thought, that's not that sophisticated. This seems to have been novelty over actual achievement. Yeah, it's a bit like the Game Gear, and it was. I'm looking at the, the page from the house. It's opposite the Game Gear, which is another thing that's incredibly expensive, rubbish, and the Barcode Battler, which is. Uh, <laughs> I've forgotten that existed. <laughs> the, the Barcode Battler, which let's just leave that hanging in the air for. Uh, but it's the same <laughs> genre of things that no one really had, uh, but yet you kind of wanted one, but you didn't know why. And you kind of, you know, poured over the, the, the page in the Argos book. It's technology going the wrong way. It's easy to la- go back and laugh now at, at going, you know, these things were, they were trying to be ahead of their time, but they were so obviously <laughs> on the wrong track. <laughs> but the VTech video painter, because I can remember asking for this quite a lot. I can also remember asking for Mario Paint and a SNES quite a lot. If your selling point is, it's like Mario Paint, but you don't have to buy a SNES for it. But it is still £67. It's very hard to convince even a wealthy parent, when we were not a, a moneyed family, that that is a use of anyone's money or time and should not just be ripped out of the catalogue and burnt on the fire. Well, I do have to wonder because, you know, my, as I've mentioned on this show a couple of times previously, my thing that I never got was the MB game Starbird, which is a, a spaceship that sort of bore bearing in it that made engine noises that went up and down as you moved it up and down. You know, that was considered to be expensive throwaway junk. So, you know, God knows what people thought of the VTech video painter, <laughs> but... I, when I first discovered eBay, one of the first things I got was the Starbird, sort of deliberately, <laughs> pointedly. Did you ever go hunting for a VTech video painter at a later date? Well, the good thing about YouTube is it kind of democratises all this crap technology of, of the past, and you can see other people using it without having to bring a moth-eaten <laughs> second-hand pile of junk into your own house. And if you actually watch any play videos of the video painter, curiosity is satiated in about five seconds. If someone had shown me that when I was eight or whenever I was squealing for one, that would have been it. I would have been wouldn't be bothered. I'd be more interested in the the videos that were on the top of the page. If you're if you're wondering, it's a, a noddy compilation. 
The Animals of Farthingwood. <laughs> That's worth a fortune now. Is it? Animals of Farthingwood, yeah. BBC Television Children's Favourites. I think that's quite rare as well. Yeah. And The Terrible Tales of Mr Bean, which I know isn't. <laughs> <laughs> what was the extra on that one? Was it the library? No, that was the third. That was the green one, that one. There was no extras on that. That was the first one with no extras on it. That was, I think that was my favourite one, though, that one. <laughs> the green video. Well, we better not get too far into the realms of Mr Bean. <laughs> we'll talk about the manifesto, the B-side. We'll, we'll, say, we'll, save, that for, we'll, we'll save that for our upcoming Beancast. <laughs> Okay, well, moving on to your last choice now, which is the work of people who I think, like I say, probably use the VTech video painter in their programmes, but doing something a bit different here. And Activate is going to be on every day this week. Now, we've already received a few faxes and phone calls from people saying they can't find our single in the shops. It is out today. If it's not in the shop near you, then hold on tight, because I'm sure it will be. It looks like this. It's called I'll Be There For You. We've released it today. And just to say, hope up and buy it tomorrow. But don't forget, in Ask the Advert, we will be giving it away as a prize. So you never know. You could win it tomorrow if you're watching Children's BBC. Time now for some birthdays. Okay, well, that's something you've described to me, Daryl. I've got no idea about this as the ludicrously cruel and logically unsound 1996 CBBC April Fool's hoax. Yes, this this is the most pointlessly upsetting thing and just there's no... Right, what they did, the CBBC channel were promoting that they will be releasing a, a novelty single which was them covering the Friends theme all the CBBC presenters, and you saw clips of the music video, you saw clips of the recording, they had proper feature out of how it was made, saying they're all looking forward to it. This was done, and then it was revealed, oh, it's it's an April Fool's, we're not releasing this as a single at all. Right, for a start, it's not an April Fool, because they did it. (laughs) They did it for real. They made a song and a video. They did do a cover of I'll Be There For You. All All they've not done is sold it. They, they sort of talked it up so well. I actually quite wanted it. It was the time where Friends was quite, you know, it was still on the scene. And I, I think it was slightly before the theme was released as a single in this country as well. I think it was just on the cusp. I think it, they might have got in there early. So I was just distraught because I, I, I remember they, they must have trailed us for a few days, again, defeating the point of an April Fool's, because I remember writing it on a list of singles I wanted. So all they basically did was smash the dreams of a of a novelty <laughs> single enjoying child and probably the hundreds and thousands of others over the country but what makes this in quite bad taste is they they'd had done charity singles as well so i think only a few months even even weeks before they had released a chris jarvis single which, <laughs> which we, i'm sure has been discussed Don't many many times me. before we're not going to play a clip of that but chris jarvis released a single called glasses and i think two years later there was a chuckle brothers comic release single as well so they had done charity singles of, of exactly the same kind of ilk there was one in 1991 as well there was helping hands sung by a load of tv children's bbc puppets like yes. you know, the clangers and paddington and so on hmm, i wonder who copied that idea later a nice trivia by the way <laughs> the there's a there is a very very low quality video of that circulating there is <laughs> and it, do you know who uploaded that onto the internet was it you? No, it was Warwick Brownlow Pike who was out show the no! cactus and is now in the Sesame Street cast. He's uh, genuinely he's like a proper muppeteer now. That that was him that put that online. That is shockingly bad quality. <laughs> yeah, but it's been copied and copied and copied. I mean, uh, it, it's quite interesting to see who what you see goes on in muppet trade tape trading circles. <laughs> That's not a joke. That exists. Yeah, well, the scene, there's, uh, I was laughing recently, I think it's in Castilian uh, version of Windy, the cover of the Association 60s hit. It's on YouTube now, where it's uh, that moustache bloke singing it to sort of a monster Muppet, and lots of people saying, please find the English version, it's the Muppet Holy Grail. Isn't the Muppet Holy Grail something different? Where... I think the Muppet Holy Grail <laughs> is, is an unmade film from about yeah. 1999. <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting that you've called this, you know, a particularly cruel hoax. When you you think about things like Alternative 3, which was where they pretended... I won't mention Alternative 3 because I can't remember the storyline. When you think about things like the Paul Daniels... Boring people going, it was real, Tim, it was real. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it was real all along. 
<laughs> well, there was that. There was Paul Daniels going, oh, I will go in this medieval torture instrument. You may like it. Not a lot. Then they pretended he'd been killed by it. You know, but it's this that leaps out to you as a particularly cruel hoax because... You couldn't buy a single. It's because it was so trivial. There's something, a big thing like Paul Daniels pretending he'd been killed is kind of theatrical and big. This is so trivial. It's it's just there's something so cruel about getting such a small hope up and then puncturing it, which is so much worse than a big thing like we've killed Paul Daniels or... It's a bit like something off the 11 o'clock show. I was quite... in. Every couple of weeks, I would, I would I could have a cast single, or if I waited four weeks, I could have a CD single. These were this is one of the things I lived for at the time, and I always bought crap. That's the joy of it. And I really, really wanted this so much. I was genuinely heartbroken. I think I even switched to CITV for a few weeks out of protest. I switched back because <laughs> CITV is rubbish. But... <laughs> but it has reminded me of my big sort of novelty tie-in single disappointment, which was. Christmas 1991, in the top 10, according to, quote, Virgin, in the Liverpool Echo, number 8 was a great charity single, but I don't like to talk about it, mate, by Smashy and Nicey, which I went round looking for, and it didn't exist. I assume it must be that song that they used in the Christmas special the following year. Yes, that was, that is... That genuinely was, I think because Charlie Higson mentioned it on, on Twitter a while back, that uh, they did try and get that out. So that must have been, I think it's called Christmas's Charity in the, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's just that's just name people are giving it to it. But that chart was being compiled based on hype, and somebody hyped it too early. Yeah. And I was running around looking for it. I'm now wondering if there are any promo singles of the Smashy and Nicey, because there are raw sex um, promo singles of the single. Because uh, what, what, what? Simon Simon Brint did that Smashy and Nicey single, if you were, mm. and there was supposed to be a because Roland Riveron talks about it in his book there was a raw sex album made completed as well. It had French and Saunders and Arnold Brown and I may have even had Kirsty McCall on it. A full length LP it was completed, and BMG kind of dumped in the promotion because they were they put they moved the promotional money in to take that and party. Oh, which, which obviously was was the correct thing to do from a business sense. Well, somewhere in a vault there isn't an entire unreleased raw sex. Yeah, well, never mind Gary Barlow's tax avoidance. He now has a greater crime to be called to account for. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere someone has that. But at least they didn't pretend it was coming out as a joke. And <laughs> <laughs> crush everybody's dreams. Yeah. I'm still looking at that Radio Tip Top album. Daryl, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Remember your old mum and dad Think about the lady who lives down the road Remembering the family she had Don't forget the old folks of Christmas Bring about some Christmas cheer Pay them a visit at Christmas time And think about them through the coming year Christmas Remember the old folks, think of the old folks at Christmas time. The Camberwick Green Procrastination Society, a book by Tim Worthington with thoughts on everything from what to do if you have to watch Wogan on the black and white portable to what to do if you get a Rubik's Magic for Christmas. Find out more at timworthington.blogspot.com.